Often throughout the ages when it seems that the adversary of everything that is righteous, everything that is good and wholesome, is no longer in vogue. Can anybody identify with that? No longer popular. No longer accepted or tolerated. And even when you see the things of God almost no longer legal, we're entering into such a time as this. Proverbs 28.12 says, When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. And it's true, isn't it? Sometimes when the wicked arise, the people of the Lord go underground. And the largest church in the world is actually the, the underground church in China. 50 to 100,000 people get saved. It's glorious, isn't it? A church, a church under pressure is always a strong church. It's like a jam sandwich. The more you squeeze it, the more the jam comes out. And that's what the church is like. The more you squeeze it, the more of that olive oil comes out. But when it appears to the righteous and the redeemed that the empire of the fallen world has risen to heights and influence and that would have astounded our forefathers and caused them to even roll in their graves, when it looks like and smells like and feels like that the death throes of godly influence are gasping for breath. And we ask ourselves, can the pendulum of the righteous swing again? I'm here to encourage you today that it's already swinging, amen? It's already swinging. George Foreman would say, God's in my corner and I'm coming out swinging, amen? That's what George Foreman would say. He's a good Christian man, a pastor. In the 1960s and 70s, uh, the other thing is take heed and take uh, take heart, brothers and sisters in Christ here tonight, to the word of God and know that there is nothing new under the sun. We think that what we see, there's something new. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes tell us. The Nimrods, Pharaohs and Hamans of old have had their day. We've seen them come and we've seen them go before. But their spirit rises its ugly head through various world systems and we're exposed to that. But they too in time will be removed as God raises up an instrument of righteousness. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're an instrument of righteousness. Oh, oh yes, you are. In response to a cry, a groan, or a prayer of faith, God will raise up a people. And God is raising up a church. We're not as feeble as people would like to think you are. No way in the world. In the 1960s and the 70s, who here was born in the 60s? Oh, yes, who's born? Okay, we'll leave it at that. I'm going to get myself into trouble here. In the 60s and 70s, there arose in that psychedelic era, there was free love. There was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There was flower power. There was peace without God. It was a save money on a haircut generation, amen? <laughs> they all saved money on haircuts in those days. But there was a movement that took the church and the world by storm. Remember that? And the church thought, oh, how can we come back from this? But the Jesus people and the Jesus freak movement was born out of this defiant and rebellious generation. And in their day, their parents said, oh, gosh, what is coming upon the earth? I say, take heed and take courage. There's good things ahead for the church. Amen. Amen. There is good things. The devil at this time must have scratched his head in the 60s and 70s and wondered, how did that happen? How did that scruffy lot end up in the kingdom of God? That's what happens, isn't it? 
You look at some of the scruffiest people on earth and God says, oh, they're mine. That's my treasured possession. I love that one. Oh, I love him. I love her. Hundreds of thousands of hippies globally began filling the churches and God used Satan's head once again as a stepping stone for, to build the kingdom of God. Amen? God uses Satan's head as a stepping stone. I always say if you're walking with a limp, it's because you've got the devil's head in your shoe. Amen? Perhaps you don't walk the same because you're walking with God. You know that it's sometimes a tough gig, but you've got the devil's head in your shoe, according and fulfilling Genesis 3.15. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the armies of the Lord. That's you and I. It will not prevail. Not prevail. I would like now to take you to the first reference in the Bible in 1 Samuel 1.3, where God is referenced as Yehovah or Jehovah, we say, Sabaoth, which means the God of the universe and rulers of the armies of heaven. Some people don't think we're in a spiritual conflict. Much of the church doesn't think we are. But when we realize that walking with God, you're in a spiritual conflict, you'll walk differently because you'll hold up that armor of faith a bit differently when you know that you're going to be exposed to some spiritual opposition. And so I'd like for us to go to 1 Samuel was wonderful this morning. Priscilla preached a mighty message. And you can download tonight's message on our Spotify or Podbeam or on Facebook. If you'd like to get that, you can also download this morning's message, which referenced exactly these same scriptures this morning. So we're all digging out of the same pit here. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that God does. And so in 1 Samuel, I'm just going to read a few verses. Many of you will know this, this wonderful story. I first read this story when I was only about 10 years old, I suppose, perhaps seven or eight, maybe as young as that. And so I'll read very quickly. I'll go and paraphrase through, skip a few names to get to the main part of the story. So brace yourself, put on your seatbelt, and we're going to have a good ride. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zup. The Ephraimite, are you exhausted there yet? <laughs> but he had two wives. Now there's trouble. <laughs> he had two wives. Whenever you see two wives in the Bible, there's always going to be trouble with the siblings. Amen? I'm just covering myself there. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. The other one was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And so you have to understand in Hebrew culture to be barren was a sign of not of God's favor. It was a sign of basically being cursed. And so it wasn't good. It wasn't good for Hannah. And this, but this man, Elkanah, he went up from the city yearly to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. So there is the first reference of Jehovah Sabaoth. The captain of the Lord of the armies is first mentioned in the Bible in this place here. And so that's very, very important. And so I have been to Shiloh in the northern side of Israel, where the, the Ark of the Testament and the, the tent of meeting, when the, you know the tent of meeting that they carried about in the wilderness for 40 years? That was placed at Shiloh. And I've walked on the land where the tent of meeting was all those thousands of years ago. It was a glorious experience to be there. 
to imagine the Shekinah glory of God in that time. Wonderful. But whenever the, the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all his sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. In other words, uh, taken into account even of children that she didn't have. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her. And that is always in, in the Bible when you have often. There is always a spiritual and there is a natural. And there is a natural will always persecute the spiritual. Amen. It comes up throughout the Bible over and over again. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than, you, than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the tent, uh, on the seat by the door post of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. The title of my message tonight is the prayer that changed the nation. And here is the prayer. I'm speaking to every single person here tonight in this place. And there is a prayer that can come from your heart that can change this nation and can change this region. We have a less than 80 odd people at a combined service when there should be a thousand or maybe three or four thousand people. And there needs to be a prayer that go, comes up from our very, very innermost being that rises to the heavens. But here is the prayer. She prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now that's a good way to start in prayer. I'd like to ask you, when was the last time that you went to prayer and even before you began to pray, pray you were already weeping in anguish? Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, there it is again. She knew she was contending in the realm of the spirit. When you pray this way, you will be contending in the realm of the spirit. And she said, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and do not forget your maidservant, but would give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord in the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. In other words, he would basically be given a Nazarite vow, even from birth. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. The priest is watching her pray. This is how in tune the priest was. Now Hannah spoke to only in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. Amen. He was in another spirit, wasn't he? He was on vodka and oranges or something like that. He was on Malibu. He was, on, he, was on, he was on another planet. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah said, answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. Even though he had the office of the priest, and so there's still an anointing of God upon him. There is also an anointing upon a person or on a gift, but there is always an anointing on the office itself. 
And Eli was operating in the office, and so there was still an anointing of prophecy on him. The Eli, and Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Listen how she responds. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She applied her faith immediately to the word of God. Amen? When the word of the Lord is spoken, do you apply your faith and say, That is for me today? Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. She arose early in the morning, worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to the house at Ramah. Elkanah knew uh, Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her, and she delivered a child of the promise. And we know that the child that she had was born, was named she, uh, was Samuel, which means God hears. Why did she call him that? Because God heard Hannah's prayer. And she named her son a child of the promise God hears. Wonderful story. And so the time frame for this, uh, this wonderful story is the concluding years of the book of the Judges. And you say, well, what is the book of the Judges? We know that when Joshua went into the promised land and there was an allocation to all the tribes of Israel, and so there was a 350 to 400 year period when they were taking up their allotted land and inheritance and evicting all those squatters that needed to be moved out of that land. When you go in to take your promised land, you need to evict those that, that have been occupying it, amen? There is always a, a task at hand. So it was after the years of conquest when the Israelites took possession of the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But Joshua and that generation perished. They died. They went the way of their fathers. And so for 350 to 400 years, God would raise up judges. And so there was no king in the land. This is just prior to the time of the kings. And there emerged a cycle of sin and idolatry amongst the people. And the people would turn from God and they would go into a captivity and bondage as God gave them over to foreign enemies. Usually it was the Philistines or the Midianites. And that's what happens when we walk against God. God will often just, our defenses go down. The blessing of hand, when, when, you, when we oppose the work of God, even as people of God, we can walk against the purposes of God. But when the blessing of, of God lifts from your life, the same hand of blessing is also the same hand that protects. Do you ever think about that? You say, oh, the blessing of heaven is lifted from his life. But that same hand of blessing is the one also that protects. In other words, there is a breach in the wall. Your defenses are down and the enemy can come in. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why has the enemy come in? We can only reflect and answer that for ourselves. Amen. But God would hear their cry. And what happened is repentance followed as the people cried out to God because of their cruel oppressors. But God would hear their cry and he would raise up a deliverer for them called a judge. And he would lead the people out of bondage from their enemies and turn the nation back to God. I say Australia needs to turn back to God. Amen. I say, where are the judges here in the house? Are there any judges here? Give me a wave. Come on. Oh, every hand should be up. Every hand should be up. Hey, bit of chutzpah, bit of chutzpah. God would hear their cry. The people had become a covenant breakers, but God was always seeking to restore covenant relationship. Men, generally, we are covenant breakers. We don't know how to keep our word. 
but God keeps his word. His word is settled in heaven. Amen. He's unmovable. So some of the greatest judges, we know of them. The Othniel, the nephew of Caleb, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. The Bible says, but the Spirit of God came upon them. It means when the anointing or the power of heaven came upon them, as spoken of in, in uh, Acts 1, 5 to 8, that they were unstoppable. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you and, you, and what God has called you to do, you will be unstoppable. Amen? Amen? Because you are not resting in your own ability nor man's ability, but in the ability of God. And that is when, when you, in humility, come to God, God says, well, there's a vessel not full of itself that I can fill with the Spirit of God. Are there any vessels here waiting to be filled with the power of heaven? Amen? Oh, yes, you can be filled with the power of heaven. And John the Baptist had it right, says, I must decrease so that he must increase. When there's less of me and more of him, you'll see the power of heaven flood through your life. Who wants the power of God to flood through the church again? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. So some of those greatest judges, but the people wanted deliverance, but God always wanted restoration to himself. They said, send us a deliverer. God says, I want restoration of your heart towards mine. That's God's intent. And that's God's intent for this region of Charters Towers. And I always say that coming back to God is always the answer for any people of any generation. Coming back to God is the answer for your friends, for your, for your family, for, this, for, for the church. A coming back to God. Uh, not to coming back to theology, not to coming back to my denomination, not to coming back to any other thing, but a coming back to God. It's so raw, it's so uncivilized. It is uncivilized, that raw sort of gospel just coming back to God. Can I have an amen in the house of God tonight? Amen? What about can I have a two right mate in the house of God? I've studied a little bit of Hebrew, and two right mate is the equivalent of the Hebrew word amen. So when Pastor Bennett is really going for it when he's preaching, you say, too right, mate. <laughs> so to the people in this region, I say, coming back to God is always the answer. So while that judge was alive, the people's hearts were always loyal to God. And but soon as and the nation would experience the blessing of heaven and begin to expand their borders, the crops would begin to grow. They were even able to eat of their own crops. The Philistines wouldn't come in and raid it. There was a divine hand of protection over the land. And right now I feel there's like a divine hand of protection has lifted off and there is a breach. There is a breach in our defense system. And only you and I can stand in the gap. When a judge died, it was not long before the people turned back to idolatry. And we say, oh, well, no, we're living in the West. We don't have idolatry. What a lot of rubbish. Uh, today, this morning... We had to open up all the grounds here because the markets were on this morning. And the spirit of mammon has gripped this community. There was literally thousands of people at the markets. Thousands upon thousands. And they took up half of our car parks. Do you think we have idolatry in this nation? Sure we do. Sure we do. So it's... Today it's... Uh, Nations could be said, the nation of Israel at that side said, could be said that it rose and fell on good leadership. And so it is with us today. We know that corporations, government, business schools and churches, they all rise and fall on good leadership. Are you, are you looking for good leadership? And when you see good leadership, get in behind them, support them, support them. 
And so the cycle of sin and restoration, and here is general cycle of the book of Judges. 350, 400 years, you could call it going around the mountain. But this is what it looked like. It looked like sin. It looked like oppression. Then there was repentance. Then there was deliverance. And then there was restoration. That is the cycle. And in that period of restoration, when great blessing was on the land, pride always gets into the, into the heart of man quicker than anything. What happens? We go straight back into sin and oppression. And then we repent. And then we cry out for a deliverer. And then restoration comes. So we call it going around the mountain. And right now I see the hand of blessing is really not on this nation but I believe when the church gets fair income with God, God will get fair income with the church. The book of Acts, signs and wonders and miracles, they're for us today. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. The book of Judges closes with some of the saddest words. And it says in Judges 21, 25, I think it's the last verse in the book of Judges. In those days, and it's written there in another place prior. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Now, I know there's nobody here like that. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. It's just me, I know. It's just me. But haven't we all still got a tendency to do that? And even to serve God on our own conditions is still serving the God of self. It's true, isn't it? You serve God on your own conditions. You are still serving the God of self. I don't care how delusional you want to be. That's what the Bible talks about. So it's in this context, this cycle of sin, God wanting to restore, that we come to this 1 Samuel chapter 1, to one of the greatest prayers. The nation was far from God. The priesthood, as you read this, these couple of chapters, and I pray that you go home and read it tonight. Be a student of the word. Don't believe a word I say. Verify it for yourself and read the word of God for yourself. The nation was far from God. The priesthood had become corrupt and even vile in the sight of God and the people. Hophni and Phinehas were the priests, the sons of Eli. And the priest Eli never corrected his own sons. Hophni and Phinehas were immoral in every way imaginable. They took of the offerings. And it says there in two, two locations that the priest Eli was fat. And you think, well, why is that? Why is that even important? The fact is his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, raided the Lord's sacrifice and they gave it to their father. He knew where the money and he knew where the offerings had come from. When all the rest of the nation was actually living very, very poorly, the priests were fat. Who knows when the, our religious system from time to time needs a clean up? It needs a clean out. It needs a reconciling to God, amen, and it needs accountability. And it brings sin and reproach upon the people, and this is what happened. Hannah, what should she do? She could only come to God. She could only come to God. Eli was corrupt. His sons were corrupt. Eli never corrected his sons. It was an abomination, and the people had nowhere to go. There was a priestly system. So the Lord of hosts, we need the Lord of hosts, to, and we need to work with the Lord of hosts. There is a spiritual war out there, and uh, you'll see that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 and onwards is how we engage in spiritual warfare. And so the God of the universe, the ruler of the armies of heaven, and so there's a spiritual battle taking place, and the God, although patience, he does not 
he does not enter battles for his people, the faithful remnant, to walk in defeat. God does not want you and I to walk in defeat. He has called us to be the head and not the tail, above only and not the beneath. He has called to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen? These are the things that we're called to be. But you have to apprehend these things. They are not served to you on a silver platter. You have to contend in the realm of the Spirit. When they entered into the promised land, they had to enter into... not on, It was a physical warfare, but you and I enter into a spiritual warfare. Do you think the, the ancient spirits that have been here for thousands of years are going to lay down while we take up the ground? We need to give them an eviction notice and say, The Lord of Lords, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Amen. The earth is the Lord's. Whose is it? It is the Lord's. And we need to lay a stake and a claim to it. Faith calls those things that aren't as though they are. Faith is, a, is, a, uh, faith is the title deed that says that it is yours. When you apply your faith to acquiring this land for, for the kingdom of heaven, you are exercising illegal squatters that are here. Giving them an eviction notice and let's take up this land for Jesus. Amen. Shiloh, which is where that tent of meeting was located, is called the place of rest. And when you're in that place of rest with God, the place of Shiloh, oh, it's a wonderful place to be. And that means in the place of rest, be still and know that I am God. It means in the midst of battle, in the midst of even waves coming around them, it says, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of turbulent times, you not need have a troubled heart. And the greatest commodity that will be not on the earth in this, in this time will be peace. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Shalom. 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 Phineas means mouth of a servant. And Hopfany is a beautiful name for a pugilist or a boxer. Even their names are just vile. How much more so in the sight of God. They were corrupt Sons of a worthless man, sons of Belial, if you want to have a look at the meanings. But Samuel means, or Shem is, uh, means name, so Shemuel means name of God, or Shema, which is another derivative, means heard of God. That's where they get Shema Yisrael, Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's good stuff, isn't it? So what now could the people do? The priesthood. The mediators between God and the people, between God and the nation, they were totally dysfunctional. And God wanted to address it. They were distrusted, they were in disarray. Where could the people go? Who would deliver them and how could, they break, how could their breakthrough come? How could their breakthrough come? They could only turn to God himself. Oh, what a good recipe that is. What a good recipe that is. Hannah cried out to God. She had no child, no son for a husband. And her barrenness had caused her great distress and anguish. Her husband Elkanah, seeing Hannah was barren, he should have cried out to God on her behalf. But it was left to Hannah herself to petition God. And God looked upon Hannah. Oh, it's a, this is a wonderful side of the story. God looked upon the barrenness of Hannah and likened it to the barrenness of the nation. We have to see that this is probably one of the most strategic times in the nation's history of Israel. It was a link, a, a dispensation change from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. 
and one of the most influential people in this whole period of more than a hundred years was the child of the promise, and his name was Samuel. Hannah wasn't contending just for a child for herself because she gave that child to the Lord as a first fruits offering to serve under Eli in the priesthood. Oh, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? And so uh, the child of the promise wasn't just for Hannah, but it was for the nation itself. In your barrenness, when you cry out to God, oh, who's going to be the beneficiary? Not just yourself. So many, many, many more people are beneficiaries when the child of the promise comes to fruition. In Hannah, God saw and received the prayer on behalf of the nation. There was something about Hannah that God just loved. Barrenness had gripped the land. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Apostasy and idolatry absolutely rampant throughout the whole of the earth in that, in that part of Israel. Greed and fear of an ever-present army and a turning away and apostasy from God. That almost describes Australia right now, doesn't it? There's been a massive turning around. But I say that the pendulum is swinging. The pendulum is swinging. And it only takes a few hannas around the place. That's all it takes. A cry out of your barren situation. And God will identify with it and say, well, there's a, there's a heart cry that I can identify with. The fruit of her womb given back to God as a first fruits offering would begin to usher in Israel's restoration and the glory days of Israel were yet to be before it. Glorious, isn't it? You see, that prayer was, the, was a crucial prayer in the whole history of Israel. The prayer of a barren woman. In Samuel, we see the typology of Christ himself, a miracle child, a deliverer, a priest. Samuel was the last of the judges. He was the very last judge. He was a priest, but he was the last of the judges. And he himself, Samuel, when he was born, he would anoint the nation's first king. They called for a king, man's king. He, God gave them, and his name was Saul. Saul faltered fairly quickly, but they had to put up with him for 40 years. And then came God's king, and that was King David. And he's compared anybody, any king of the earth since David all around the globe is always compared to the man after God's own heart, King David. In this godly woman's prayer in 1 Samuel, such was the anguish in her heart, her words were not heard. That she said, that's what it says. She was praying, her lips were moving, but there was no words coming out. It was inferable voice, only her lips moved, and she poured out her soul to the Lord. I tell you what, God is looking for people who will pour out their soul to the Lord. Will you pour out your soul to the Lord on behalf of this region here in Charters Towers? Oh, it take, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody here would just go home and do that very, very thing? Wouldn't it be wonderful if tears came back into our prayer life? Anguish of soul came back into our prayer life. I tell you what, prayer meetings are some of the most barren in the earth. You can have a men's breakfast and they come out of the woodwork. Have a prayer meeting and you don't know where the woodwork is. In this godly woman's prayer was the anguish in her heart. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said, I like this found it today, it's better to have a heart without words than to have words without a heart. Isn't that beautiful? God only needs to hear your groan. 
It's not the eloquence of our words that will move the heart of God, but it is our heart connected to those words, whether they be few or whether they be many, whether they be eloquent or whether they just be brutal. You can just say, God, this nation needs you now. I don't know what to say, but um, you could be weeping before God and God would just love that prayer. He would anoint that prayer again. How long is it since you had some prayers and had some tears in those prayers? How long is it since you saturated the carpet of your bedroom floor with the tears that you used to pray when you first got saved and touched by God? How long is it since any of us have really wept before the Lord on behalf of this nation, on behalf of people who don't know God, on behalf of this whole place? Like the people of Nineveh, 120,000 who knew not their left hand from their right hand. The reformation of the nation was born out of the barrenness of a woman whose heart was fixed on God. It's a beautiful story. I'm going to close in a moment, in about an hour or so. I was just checking whether you're awake, Axel. Sorry. God raised up a leadership within a faulted system. You say, my situation's not perfect. That's good. Samuel served in a corrupt priesthood, but God preserved him and he kept his heart right. And keeping sweet in the midst of pretty ordinary situations is always one of the biggest challenges of any ministry. Keeping sweet because we've got to work with one another and we're all human. And there's not a person you can trust in in the earth except the word of God. You look in the mirror, you can't even trust yourself. When you say to somebody else, I can't trust anyone else. Well, can you trust yourself? No, you can't. You can't. Look in the mirror again. We all need the blood of Jesus, don't we? We do. Will you hear the cry? God said to a bloke in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, Moses, Moses. Love that. Love that. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10. God calls out to another bloke and he says, this is him. Samuel, Samuel, he learned to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Acts 9.4, we hear Saul, Saul, throwing off his horse or his donkey, whatever it was. Who are you, Lord, and what must I do? What a good response. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the fact is, God is always talking. But we do we have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Do you and I have an ear to hear? Or you can learn this thing from your kids and it's called selective hearing. (laughs) Sounds like we've all got kids. (laughs) Oh, Jesus today. Anna and Simeon in the New Testament, they weren't passive in their endeavour to see the consummation of Israel before they died. They weren't. They were fasting and praying in the temple. Daniel wasn't passive when he realized the 70 years of captivity were just about up. And he began to pray. He didn't just say, oh, I'll just let the prophecy fulfill itself and the exiles will return home. No, he began to fast and he began to pray. Oh, feasting and playing, that's one thing. But fasting and praying, that's different, isn't it? We've become good at feasting and playing. But fasting is almost a swear word these days. Oh, I wish it wasn't. God throughout history has always raised up the deliverers. I believe I'm looking for and at a room full of deliverers. And you think, well, the deliverer should look like this. He should look like that. He should look like this. No, 
The Bible says when the Spirit of God came upon Samuel, God turned him into another man. And that's a very, very good verse. Why? Because God can turn whatever he has in his hand into whatever he needs at the time. Isn't that true? He turned him into another man. He didn't use him as he was. The Spirit of God turned him into another man. When you're open to the Spirit of God, God will use you in an amazing way which you never thought you were even capable of or gifted in. Why? Because the Spirit of God can turn you into another man. Isn't that interesting? Read that scripture again and you say, hmm, if God could do that in him, well, God can do that in me. I'm looking at a whole heap of people. Heaven is counting on you. The future of Australia is in the hands of the church, not in the hands of the politicians. Thank God for that, amen? Can I have an hallelujah in the house? Oh, there's got to be a big hallelujah for the house. It's, gonna, it's never going to be easy under Albanese. You say, oh, you can't get political. Oh, Well, I read the whole of the first and Samuel, first Kings. It's pretty political anyway. Second Chronicles 7.14, everybody knows it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and da-da-da-da, then I will heal their land. Amen? It doesn't say if the, if, if the council. It doesn't say if the government. If, the, if this or if that. It doesn't say that. It says if my people. God wants to heal this land and he wants to use the church. And that's you and I. The church is not this building. The church is that person next to you. You say, good evening, church. Turn to the person next to you and you say, good evening. You're the church. You're the ecclesia or the ecclesia. They're the called out ones. You're the called out ones. Oh, it's good stuff, isn't it? Don't disqualify yourself for your part because of the barrenness of your own life. You see, what qualified Hannah was that God used her barrenness to elevate his greatness. Isn't that? God built the land of Israel out of three generations of barren women. That's how you build a nation, isn't it? All the three women in the patriarchs, all of them were barren. And out of the barrenness, God built the nation of Israel. Because God's greatness is elevated in barrenness. You say, I'm not rich enough, I'm too old, I'm too, too poor, I'm too young, I'm not educated, I'm too overly educated, I'm too this or I'm too that. What do you think is disqualifying you right now? What do you think is disqualifying you? I'll just give you one moment before I close. Oh, what's disqualifying you? The very, very thing that you think is disqualifying you is actually the thing that is qualifying you. Because God is in the business of qualifying the disqualified ones. Amen? Man may want to disqualify you, but God is in the qualifying business. Because if any, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Or you can become new. Oh, in Jesus' name. Can everybody stand to their feet right now? I'm going to pray a prayer. Some people may not be comfortable with a prayer like this. I have found it in... John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, he says, If any man be born again, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible says. I mean, that's not my terminology. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask if you just close your eyes right now. This is a sacred moment. This is a glorious moment. This is a, just a one moment where we can, you and I can be fair dinkum with God.
And God loves, God loves fair dinkum. You think that's an Aussie terminology? That's God terminology. That's kingdom terminology. God loves you to be fair dinkum. He wants you to be very, very fair dinkum. He wants you to be straight. He wants you to be true blue. He don't like bull. He don't like pretentiousness. He just wants you to be real. If you be real with God, God will be real with you. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me. And if you pray this prayer from your heart, I believe for some here it's going to transform your life. Heavenly Father, I come to you now. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. Cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I ask Jesus to come into my heart. I ask Jesus to come into my heart. To be Lord and Saviour of my life. To be Lord and Saviour of my life. I welcome the person of the Holy Spirit. I welcome the person of the Holy Spirit into my life right now I receive you now I receive you now I thank you father I thank you father that I am born again of the spirit of the living God that I am born again of the spirit of the living God I'm going to pray uh, the ironic blessing I haven't prayed this for a long long time now but three and a half thousand years ago God said to Moses and Aaron After all the tumultuous stuff that went on in the wilderness, all the backsliding, all the grumbling and complaining, God's word was still to bless them. And in the ancient Hebrew tongue, just close your eyes right now. This is how it sounded. He said, Yeverechecha Adonai Vayishmerecha. Yeer Adonai Panavalecha Vichunecha. Yesa Adonai Panavalecha. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.